Welcome to The Male Mogul Podcast, where we discuss topics that will positively transform the way people live and lead in their communities. Here are your hosts, Walter Mendenhall and Dr. D.T. Shackelford. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Walter Mendenhall, and I have a very special guy with me here today, man, uh, a partner, co-host. This guy has a great story, man, and we're going to go deep into it, man. Um, at what? How old were you? 28 when you got your PhD? 28. 28. PhD <laughs> at 28. SEC football player, linebacker. Yeah, yeah. Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Ole okay. Miss. SEC. Yeah. Um, you know, just a great man of God, a just great friend, mm-hmm. a, just a great person, man. I just want everybody, I want to kind of introduce you to the world, man, and uh, just hear your story. There's some things that I'm curious about mm-hmm. that I don't know about your story. And hope I got, I can't forget though. Husband. <laughs> Husband. Uh-huh. <laughs> Say that again. Husband. Yes. Yes. So uh very beautiful yeah. wife. Shout out to Jordan. Yeah. Shout out to my wife Michelle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Make sure I get that. Um yeah, man. So mm-hmm. what, what we're going to do this episode is called Going Deep. And we're going to just uh, interview you, talk mm-hmm. about your childhood all the way up until your college years and career and just kind of mm-hmm. what you're doing now with the Male Mogul Initiative and even why you chose to be a part of the Male Mogul Initiative. Mm-hmm. So I'm just very excited about this interview, very excited to go deep. And uh, the first thing I want to do is kind of just talk about your childhood, man. So where did you uh, grow up? Where where, where are you from, mm-hmm. BT? Yeah, so if we're talking about going deep, mm-hmm. let's start in Alabama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I'm yeah. from the deep south, right? Mm-hmm. So um, collard greens, neck bones, like all of the soul food. You can probably put that in one pot and put it in me, right? Okay. I'm from the South, like to the core, right? So um, I'm from Alabama. Um, Decatur, Decatur, right? Decatur, Alabama. So I heard of Decatur, Georgia, but I never heard of Decatur, <laughs> No, we're the real Decatur. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Decatur, Alabama, and um, I, I call it one of the places um, – that you can't quite get anywhere else. Okay. Um, I was in a place where um, I was away from the big city lights. Okay. Right. So it gave me an opportunity to get deeply connected with the individuals I grew up with. Okay. So deep, when you're talking going deep, I mean, that was me, right? It wasn't, I have big skyscrapers to look at as I came into the city. Um, I didn't have of a lot of the things that I, I'm accessible or have access to now in a place like Chicago. Okay. Uh, my wife is from Houston, Texas. Okay. Right. So she came from the big city, big bright lights, and I come from the dirt. Yeah. Literally. So, <laughs> so is Decatur like a one light stoplight town or is it like a what? Like a no. small suburb? Like what, what, what mm. is it? Um, it is not one light. Okay. All right. So, um, we're about 15 minutes outside of Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. Um, so it is growing every single day. Um, kind of one of those towns where everybody knows everybody. Okay. Um, but there's been some amazing and uh, powerful people that has come out of such a um, such a place like Alabama and Decatur specifically. So um, I've really been blessed mm-hmm. to have um, I would call it balance. I get you. Um, when you come in from a place like Alabama, you have no choice but to be connected from the inside out. I live by a quote that says within outward. 
right? And, and my hometown taught me that to be something from the inside first, and then the inside is an incidental reflection of what's outside, right? Okay. So you have to make sure in Alabama, I mean, because everybody, can't nobody afford the Gucci shoes, okay. right? Ain't nobody got the ones, uh, <laughs> right? Like not many. Yeah. So what you really have indicator is people that are structured, right? And you have something that goes deeper than the extrinsic. So for me, it's been really, really, uh, it was a blessing to come from a place like Alabama. Okay. So as we describe in Decatur, is it like an affluent mm-hmm. town? Is it like, is there like a good side? Then is it like the hood or what <laughs> kind, What is like, is it mostly black? Is it white? What is it? Um, It's mixed. Okay. Um, I went to a high school that, that had an IB program mm-hmm. and I went to a high school and that same high school had drug dealers. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was a mix and which is, which is really it's it's really um, interesting to me that I had to come from a place like that because my journey. I mean, I've I left Alabama and went to school at Ole Miss. Left Ole Miss and went to Dallas, Texas. Left Dallas, Texas and went to and came to Chicago. So I needed that. Um, it was interwoven into my DNA and specifically my hometown. So Decatur is a place that's it's really mixed. You know, you have your blacks, you have your whites, you have your people that are highly affluent. And then you have those individuals that are still begging for crumbs. So you got you got both. And, you know, it's always been interesting to me, especially about these southern towns and just growing up in a big city like Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's like it seems like it's more integrated Mm -hmm. down south with blacks and whites living together as opposed to like a place like Chicago, which is like so segregated. Mm -hmm. And it always amazes me how, you know, people that I know from the south Mm -hmm. really a lot of times grow up in integrated communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, I'm not saying that we didn't see the Confederate flags on the back of trucks. (laughs) So, I mean, we saw that, right? That was something that you saw and it was deeply ingrained into your head. So that flag meant something different to me. Um, And it was a scar. It was a wound. I mean, you're talking about a flag that they flew at Ole Miss football games, right? So, I mean, and that's the the university that I got all three of my degrees from. So you're talking about you know, a Confederate yeah. flag that that I had to, it was forced down my throat, so to speak, yeah. growing up. So, yeah. Yeah, was, in Chicago. yeah, yeah, I know it. It ain't going to ride. You know what I'm saying? So, so that that was definitely, yeah. um, it was definitely an experience to see so much of the intermingling and, yeah. and how that developed the person of who I am. Yeah, man. So I like to kind of just talk about your mm. family dynamics, man. So I would love to talk about, you know, uh, like in the house, man, who, mm. who, who lived with you? Was it your mother? Was it your dad? Did you have brothers, sisters? Mm. Kind of just tell me about your family mm. dynamic. Well, let's go deep. Um, so my biological father, um, he passed away when I was in the 10th grade. Okay. Um, I grew up, I probably met him about five times. Okay. Did he um, live in Decatur? He lived in Decatur. So probably a small a, town and he you only met him town, five times. Small town. And it, when we talk about this perspective of going deep, I always yearn for a phone call from my father. Mm. The, 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 the blood that ran through his veins, well, the blood is the blood that ran through my veins. And I couldn't quite connect the dots as to why he couldn't pick up the phone and call. So, um... Those were the wounds, right? When you talk about, I, I always talk about this perspective of blood-stained capes, right? And so you got these individuals in life who wear the cape, but it's red. And so the the blood, it's it stains the cape, but it's invisible, right? Yeah. 
to an individual that's not looking at the blood, right? So um, the cape that I wear or that people see is definitely bloody. And, and one of those wounds is definitely from my biological father. And so let's go deeper. And then, so um, I always, I use this comparison, man. I'm deeply ingrained into the word of God. And I always talk about Moses, okay. right? And so I talk about Moses, which name literally means drawn from the water, right? And so it, for me, I was drawn out of um, situations where statistically speaking, I wasn't supposed to make it, Yeah. right? And so I talk about Moses because Jethro gave him something that I feel like he always wanted out of Amram, who was his biological father, Okay. right? And so when you talk about these perspective as to who stepped in, right? Who was that, who was that coach? Mm -hmm. Who was that um, teacher? Who was that specific individual um, that, that helps raise you to be the man that you are? And for me, it was my stepfather. Okay. Um, my stepfather has a definitely a bloody past. Um, is your stepfather from Decatur? Too? Yep. My stepfather's from Decatur, Alabama. Right. Um, he has um, a 10th grade education. So he dropped out of oh, high wow. school. Um, he's, he actually spent four years in prison, okay. um, had over 54 charges against him. Hey. He was on a 12 year sentence, Ooh. um, and got four and, uh, hasn't looked back since. And okay. my stepfather always talks about this terminology, reflective focus, right? Okay. It's, it's getting reflective to a, focus, reflective focus, okay. right? You get to a point in your life where you are able to look back and be grateful over where you come from. And okay. so as I'm sitting here, um, vibing with you, talking to you and to everybody else that's 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 listening. I gained something from my stepfather that I that I don't think I, I gained from anybody else, and it's to look back and be grateful for the handcuffs. The handcuffs birthed the doctor. Isn't that crazy? Mm, what do you mean by the handcuffs? The handcuffs that my stepfather wore in prison for wow. four years. Wow. I would never forget going to visit him. It's called 48 hour visitation passes. Mm. Yo, you ever had 48 hours to see your Superman? Wow. Yo, that hurts. Wow. And so now you in a perspective where like, okay, the world is telling me statistically I can't be a doctor. And then in my house is telling me you are either going to be, um, you're, you're, you're either going to be destined for handcuffs or you're going to be the next person on the block. And so I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful to be in Chicago right now. And I have to attribute that a lot of that, most of that to who I would call my hero who is Malcolm Shackleford. So I actually took his last name. Oh, you took, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so my last wow. name actually came from um, an ex-convict. Wow. <laughs> so it was interesting to see how he really put something in me. I think it was the desire, but also the boldness. Also that that it factor, um, that grittiness that he had to have. Um, and so me biblically speaking, whenever you look through that good book, look how many books was written in prison. And look how many people we not speaking to that's in prison. Yeah. Yo, the dynamics are off. And so yeah. now you're looking at a doctor, but I got to tell you first about the handcuffs. Can you tell me about your mom? Yeah. So my mother's, oh my goodness, it's a powerful woman of God. Um, I always compare her to somewhat of a Hannah. And she always, and Hannah says, to, to, for this child I have prayed, mm -hmm. right? And so um, my mother, man, she's a giver at heart. Um, her name is Sherry. Um, I just got off the phone with her today. Okay. Um, she is such a powerful woman of God. Um, the, the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I believe my mother sees God 
every second of the day. Okay. There's there's not many people you can come into that atmosphere and you can feel God. Like you can feel it with her silence. Yeah. And not many people can give sermons silently. Yeah. Everybody, most people got to open their mouth. For her, it's her entrance into a room that changes the atmosphere instantly. Um, one of the things that she did when we were growing up, we didn't have much. Um, but what we did have was the things that you couldn't measure. Right. So we would wake up on Thanksgiving. I would never forget. It was like my ninth grade year. Yeah. And so I love to eat. Well, OK, like I'm from the <laughs> South. Right. I love to eat. Yeah. So it's what happens. We wake up. I'm in the ninth grade. My older brother, he's in 11th grade. And my younger sister, she's a grade behind me. Her name is Jasmine. My older brother, Cortez. So you got three. Uh, oh, three of y'all total. Three of us total. Older brother and younger sister. Older brother and the younger sister. Okay. So we wake up smelling food. I'm like, yo, it's on today. And I remember getting up and I saw these 10 like pans on the counter. And she was like, I want each and every one of y'all to pick up two or three of these 10 and like put them in the car. And I'm like, uh, this don't sound like we about to eat. Yeah. And she was like, get up. Her and my, her and my stepfather, who I thank God for so much, they came together and they said this Thanksgiving and from this point forward, we will be feeding the homeless shelter. Okay. And so me, my older brother, and my younger sister, literally on Thanksgiving, we're taking 10, we're taking plates of food to the homeless shelter. And so it allowed for me to see um, just how deep people's sorrows go, mm. right? How deep does that really go? What leads an individual to be begging for bread at a homeless shelter? Wow. I know they life, I know they really didn't want that for themselves, yeah. but what landed them in that spot? And so it always kept me humble. Therefore, humble yourselves upon the mighty hands of the Lord. Um, and so I, I, I learned humility at a young age. Yeah. And so I learned that primarily through my mother and my stepfather. They gave so much and they still give to this day. And so I owe a lot of what I have um, to them. That's awesome. Yeah. I know you told me that your mother was a uh, hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And I, I never knew what, what your stepfather did yeah. for a profession. Yeah, so my stepfather, you, you know, you know when you grew up in high school and you saw that check come in, like with the gray sides, you know, yeah. the one we used to peel back. Yeah, I don't even know if they had yeah. them no more, I'm right? Bad. They used to peel them back, and yeah. you knew mom and them had a check. Yeah, I never saw that. <laughs> <laughs> right, I never saw that. Right, uh, my mother had cash flow. She was a beautician. Yeah, which is the reason why I wear an all black shirt. Okay. It's a dedication to the black mat that she stood on and had cramps in her foot. And she did that all my life. And that's how she provided the resources in order mm -hmm. for me to do the things that I do. And my stepfather was just a cold-blooded hustler. That was it, right? <laughs> I mean, you're looking at, when, you, when you look at my stepfather, I mean, when you look at this, the, the statistical data and the mm -hmm. things that are stacked up against him, there isn't a job interview he's going to and they're giving him the upper hand. Yeah, they yeah. always putting yeah. the handcuffs before the individual. Yeah, I didn't, but the world did, and so that left me with not a lot of presents on Christmas. Yeah, that left my that left my brother and my sister without a lot. Yet we gained so much. Mm -hmm. So most definitely, man. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, just talk a little bit about your uh, older brother and mm -hmm. uh, younger sister, and just you know, can you just just you know, what, what's your older brother like? Yeah, yeah. So me and my older brother, it's it's very interesting that you say that because. My older brother, my biologic, so my bi we're not connected neither by mother or father. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. 
but blood couldn't make us any closer. Wow. So my my stepfather, um, that's you know he you know we have different mothers, mm-hmm. and then his my stepfather, his biological father. Yeah. Right. And so the dynamics for us growing up was being being able to see a pattern. Yeah. Um. And so whenever you see a pattern, you learn. Of, and and you're older brother, right? Yeah, I'm the and so you you the sacrificial lamb. Almost definitely. <laughs> right. So it's a lot of things that your younger siblings may not do because they saw you do it. Most definitely. And so there's a lot of times when you want to when you want to congratulate an older brother for a plethora of accomplishments. Mm-hmm. But I want to congratulate my brother for being the sacrifice. Yeah. For being an individual that I could look up to and say, yo, man, that's how you do it. Or that's how you, that's, I mean, don't do it that way. Yeah. Right. And he has no reserve for me to say this, but I feel like it's such, um, it's such a weight to carry to be the older brother. Yeah, it right? is. No, most definitely being the older brother. It's just like, you know, everybody's looking at you and that, you know, you are, like you said, the sacrificial land of test dummy and just, you know, what you do kind of sets the direction or sets the tone for your other other siblings. I mean, it, it really does. Okay, let's okay, let's go biblical because we can speak on that on, yeah. on that on that uh on that type of language. Aaron was Moses' older brother. I didn't know that. <laughs> right? And so when you look at the dynamics, that Moses hit the rock because Aaron constructed the golden calves. Right? Was it because Moses all alone didn't have an older brother that could set the right pattern? Yeah. Right? And so yeah. these are the dynamics you look at in the Bible and you say, yo, how many of these instances do we emulate? And so I'm always very high as it pertains to my older brother because what he gave me was the sacrifice. Gotcha. And that's bloody. Um, and we don't like to talk about blood a lot, but that's how you confirm the covenant in the Old Testament. And that's how Jesus did it in the new. Yeah. It took blood for my older brother. That's what it took. Mm-hmm. So f- by his blood, I'm beautiful. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. The scars yeah. he took. The scars God he took. Kind of taught you or made, made you think a certain way and to go a different path. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, you know, uh, your brother ain't dead or nothing, though. No, my brother's, <laughs> my, my, brother's, my brother's an amazing father. Yeah. Um, he has some amazing, I got some amazing nieces. Um, they are amazing. They smart. I mean, my brother, I mean, if you had an opportunity to speak with him, um, I love his his whole vibe, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just, he's sleeved out, you know, and he's real to the core, yeah. right? So if you don't want real, don't talk to my brother. Gotcha. <laughs> he's real to the core, but I love him. Yeah. I love him because I know that what he gives me is his best. And yeah. so I appreciate him for that. Most definitely, man. Your sister, man. You got a younger sister. I got a younger sister, too. So <laughs> yeah. I remember her just being babied and, like, she, mm. I felt like I was my parents and particularly my mom was a lot harder on me than she was on her. Hmm. My, my my sister, um, and, and I say this, I, I don't say this lightheartedly, but I I... I I can call my sister at this moment mm-hmm. and gain strength. At any moment of the day, I can call my younger sister and at any moment she got something for me. Yeah. She is she gets, I, I, I would call her a perfect mix of my my mother and my father. Yeah. Right? She's a giver, but she a hustler. Yeah. And your shirt, humble hustler. Yeah. <laughs> that may be her. Right? I right, mean, she need to get um, one of them shirts. You buy one of these she shirts. Definitely need to, she definitely need to get one. Shout out yeah. to shout out to Humble yeah. Hustler, right? Yeah. And so when you look at my sister, um, a lot of people define humility as strength under control. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? That's what I see my sister, right? She's mm-hmm. she's um she got fire in her veins for whatever mm-hmm. it is that she does. She does hair. She's cold with her hands. I call her hands anointed. Yeah. Um, that's for doing hair or laying them on me sometimes. So the strength that I gained from my siblings, um, we grew me and my me and my uh, me and Cortez, we grew up in uh, a room. We had twin beds, a bed I couldn't fit in, and a bed he couldn't fit in. Oh, I've been and, there. <laughs> you've been there, right? <laughs> and well, with my sister, she would come into the room. She had her own room, and she would come into the room all the time. And when we were younger, she would suck her thumb, right? Just when we were younger, yeah. and she would play with our ears, right? And I look at the symbolism behind that now, and as I grow up, I can feel myself in Chicago being tugged on by my sister's hand as she consistently tells me, hey, you can make it. Boom, boom, boom. You you got it. Boom, boom, boom. Give the world hope. Boom, boom, boom. And I see her sucking her thumb, rubbing my ear as we speak. Got chills talking about it. It's some powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. But this is the thing. My sister never... um, she never not gives me hope. Yeah. And um, that that lady is a gift to uh, this earth. Um, I can, like I said, I can text her a call at any moment. And so we, um, that is my, so me and my sister shared the same womb, right? Mm-hmm. So that isn't Cortez's biological mother. Um, but that, that me and Jasmine, right? And so um, she's a year younger than me, yeah. right? And so... I mean, just the things that she gives me on a day-to-day basis. If it's a text, um, if it's, hey, bro, you can do it, awesome. um, and if it's realness. And so That's what's up. When, you are, <laughs> when you are compressed by an older brother and a younger sister like Cortez and Jasmine, what choice do you have yeah. but to go further in life? Most definitely. So mm-hmm. I want to kind of uh, go to high school, man. Mm-hmm. And I know that you were an athlete. Uh, particularly a football player. Um, and I just kind of want to just talk about that, man. How'd you get into football? I know, you know, mm-hmm. the Alabama, I think that's a big <laughs> football state. Yeah. And, you know, how did you kind of uh, separate yourself from the uh, other players that were uh, at your school? Hard work. Until I found out later in college that hard work needs rest. Mm-hmm. I think so much of this culture stresses hard work, but we don't stress rest. And Jesus or God himself rested on the seventh day. We don't stress rest enough. And so ultimately, I think that was the inhibitor in order for me to go to the NFL. I worked so hard that I didn't find time to rest. So I told my ACL two times. I know I'm jumping ahead of the story, but I'm going to a fundamental principle. While hard work gave me a doctorate degree, it also prohibited me from going to the NFL. So if anybody's listening to this, don't buy into this hard work culture to the point to where you feel like you don't need rest. Machines need rest. Definitely. So make sure you rest in your body in order for you to go forward. You know, so I think that is a a concept that I wish I would have known in high school. Mm -hmm. I worked all the time. I mean, you could ask my brother and sister. I would, and I mean, in high school to all the young, to all the young people out there, I would be in, the 10th grade, 11th grade, me and my brother shared a room now. Yeah. And it's not as big, it's yeah. not big at all. Yeah. We didn't have a table to do my homework on. Okay. And so what I would do is lay in the ground, lay on the floor. 
and I would have my books out on a Friday night after a football game. Okay. You talking about real dedication because oh, man, I you knew- you better than me. <laughs> doing that. I, well, I knew where I wanted to be, right? Okay. And I knew the trajectory and I would have these dreams and I would have this, this inward motivation to go deeper, right? Mm. I, I want more out of life. Um, and so in high school, I was a hard worker. I don't regret it, but I do wish that I would have learned the concept of rest. Yeah. Right. And so I guess everybody's smart on the backside of revelation. Most definitely, man. <laughs> I, I, I can relate to the hard work. Like for me, I played three sports. My school starting at 730. Mm-hmm. I was uh, waking up at 530. Mm-hmm. In the car at five forty-five, somebody picked me up, and we in the gym mm-hmm. at six, mm-hmm. going from six to seven, yeah. taking cold showers in high school, and you know, doing whatever I needed mm-hmm. to do to get this work done, whether mm-hmm. it was copying off somebody or doing something. Mm-hmm. And you know, I did that, play three sports, so I understand that that mm-hmm. that hard work. But definitely on them Fridays, I was out. <laughs> <laughs> I was in them yeah. streets. Well, I'm from, okay, again, I'm, again, I'm from Alabama. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we don't have a we don't have so much to do in the city. So it ain't like Friday night likes, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's live. <laughs> Only thing you have in Alabama on a Friday night is a Friday night football game. Dang. Right? So that's it. And so now the extra grind kicks in after the lights are turned I off. I got you. I got you. So make sure all you young people that's listening, make sure you developing in the dark. That's mm-hmm. where trees really grow. Yeah. It's not what you can see. The, the the leaves that you do see is just the roots exposed. Yeah. That's it. Most definitely. So Most definitely. I made sure to develop in the dark. And then for me, the extra pressure on my back was that nobody in my family had ever graduated college. Okay. And okay. so I had a vision. And so I said, well, if I, I mean, I'm, if I want to get to the place that I see, um, I must do the things that I've never saw done before me. Um, And so I got to do something different. I got to trailblaze my path. I definitely feel that. I Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, kind of uh, went that same path. And um, I want to kind of get into kind of like your recruitment and Mm -hmm. why you chose Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you guys don't know, DT was a four-star recruit. Mm -hmm. So there's five stars, four (laughs) stars are, you know, it was higher than me. I was a (laughs) three-star recruit. And uh four star recruit in Alabama, you pretty mm-hmm. much got all the, you know, schools or pretty much a majority of the schools knocking at your door. Mm-hmm. And this is word on the street, I don't know, <laughs> that they might pass you that bag uh, too, you know, to come to their school, man. Well, I ain't gonna put you out there like that, but maybe. <laughs> so what made you choose Ole Miss out of all the other schools and what were some of the schools you were thinking about? Yeah, so originally in high school I was committed to the University of Tennessee. Okay. All right. So this is an interesting story too, yeah. right? In high school, Lane Kiffin yeah. was the head coach at Tennessee the year I came out. I committed on the Philip Palmer, right? Yeah. And so Lane Kiffin and Ed Orgeron was the assistant head coach. Ed okay. Orgeron is now the head coach at LSU. LSU. And Lane Kiffin is now the head coach at Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so um in high school, um, I had an amazing, amazing um Recruiting experience, but Ole Miss stood out to me primarily because of the coaches that I was I was connected to. Okay, one of them being specifically Coach Tyrone Nix. Um, he was my defensive coordinator, and he pulled things out of me that I thought could never come out of me. Okay, um, leadership, um, discipline, um, dedication on another level. I mean, it was just things that he taught me that I, I could never repay him um, for. So during my recruiting experience, primarily Ole Miss kind of took 
the front seat specifically after Coach Philip Farmer had um, he had got fired, and then Lane Kiffin stepped in, and then let's just say me and Lane Kiffin didn't see eye to eye. Okay? I got you. I got you. <laughs> but he's an amazing coach. He's now leading my institution, my alma mater. So yeah. I wish nothing but uh, the best for him, and, and I pray that he continues to get amazing recruits, and we run in the natty here in a minute. Yeah, so <laughs> I got you, man. So uh, you know. You choose Ole Miss. Uh, you go there mm. for, you know, the position coach, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I re- and that's usually a lot of times the person that recruits you. And, you know, I remember being recruited by, you know, the primary, the running back coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as soon as I got there, he he got fired. And you know how that go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, but um, I just want to know kind of what was it like, you know, packing up, Probably being is you are you the first one to go yeah, off to college? I'm, I'm the first. I'm a first generation college. Yeah. Student. So like, what? How were you scared? What did you did you know what to expect? Like, you know, was there any advice that your parents could give you that can ha- actually translate mm. into this new environment? And then on top of that, being a major college football player and all the mm. pressures and temptations that come with that, man. Mm. Like, how did you manage <laughs> and handle all that? <laughs> well, I, all right, I'll tell you this. I'm a poor. I'm a I'm going to tap into me and Walt's text messages for a minute. Mm-hmm. Walt texts me one time and says, faith is the currency of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That had to be my currency going off to college because I had never seen the pattern. I had never seen yeah. nobody do it. Yeah. I didn't know. They didn't. They couldn't tell me how to develop a schedule. Yeah, they couldn't definitely. tell me how to speak to a professor. They couldn't definitely. tell me how to write an email. They couldn't yeah. tell me how to de- help, you know, go to the teacher and tell them about a, B, and C. Yeah. So faith was my footsteps. Okay. Um, and were you were you like a a, a a religious person in high school, or was you just kind of your mama was? So you kind of just was riding on her coattails. No, I kind of was that person that was in the middle. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Me too. Like I, I was. I definitely. You know what I'm saying? I did me. You yeah. know, I had me. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept the main thing, the main thing. But look, I ain't blind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I definitely saw. You know what I'm saying? You know, females, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I, I mean, I'm keeping it real. Like, you know, I think a lot of times when you look at a person's college experience and when you come from the backside, yeah. right, it sounds so much perfect, yeah, right? Definitely. But going through the process, man, there were definitely lessons that I learned. Definitely, I, I definitely wasn't where I am now. Most definitely. Um, so I had to learn. It yeah. was a process. Yeah, I wouldn't drink or smoke or nothing, but the, <laughs> my kryptonite was the women. So <laughs> I definitely understand that. Yeah. And, um, you know, just uh, being, you know, a, a, a SEC football player mm-hmm. at a major university, mm-hmm. you know, this is just stuff I've heard, you mm-hmm. know, I'm a Big Ten guy. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of it, uh, you know, universally known as the best conference mm-hmm. and, you know, the best athletes and things like that, but not necessarily the best students mm-hmm. or even – you know, there's rumors that, you know, a lot of guys didn't go to class and mm-hmm. they just passed them. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, did, a lot of those guys didn't take the education seriously. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing, kind of some things at Illinois. But I think, you know, the perception was that it was a, basically the SEC was a lot of uh, black, dumb, great athletes. Mm-hmm. And can you kind of just talk about that and just kind of talk about, you know, um, your experience from academic perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... When I did my dissertation, there was this terminology that, like, it was like in bold letters and it sticks to this day. And it was majoring in eligibility. Yeah. Right? And so when you go to these top college campuses, you see that a lot. 
Yep, ours was uh, our degree was sports, recreation, and tourism. There you go. (laughs) Sports, recreation, and tourism. You have that right. So, um, I also talked about the organizational structures, Mm -hmm. right? That allows for these systems to continue to reproduce. Yeah. And so, do you blame the fruit or the root? Yeah. Right. And so, when I'm looking at these organizational structures, that I'm saying. Are you really going to guide this student who's filled with so much potential in this specific major in order to play 12 games? Yeah. Right. And so I'm 18. I want the pats on the back. I want a thousand likes on Instagram. You know, I want yeah. the I want the popularity. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of cool on the purpose. I want the pats on the back. Yeah. And so you have a system that that gives birth to this every single year. And so now. If I see a if I see an athlete that's making forty mil, and I see my my teacher who's here every single day for eight hours a day, barely make barely making forty racks, barely making fit 40, 40 or forty five in Alabama, then who am I really trying to become? That that NFL player. That, I mean, I mean, you know, it's like forty mil and forty thousand, you know, yeah. and so I think the system is broken. Yeah. And so that's what I I learned more so towards the back end of my college career. I started to learn just how much of a system it was and how dirty and corrupt it was. Mm-hmm. Now, did I benefit from a dirty and corrupt system only because I had influences from the outside of it who spoke a lot of positivity into me, but a lot of I'm an, I'm an, I'm I am an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Right? There's not a lot of individuals that make it out. Yeah. And so I, comparatively, I mean, this is one of the things I was going to talk about in my dissertation, but I, I, I didn't have enough time. But I was going to compare my stepfather and his four years at a prison system to the four years of a student athlete Ooh, at a college deep. campus. That's deep. Go into that. Go right? into that. And so let's go deeper. Right. When you compare yards and fields. Uh, <laughs> right. Let's go. Hey. All right. So let's let's compare two fields. Right. Yeah. One works the field for specifically, um, let's just say, a, a white system, a white-led system. Yeah, I did that, too. I always talk about, Walt, how in high school there was two recruiters that came to my house. Yeah. One to get my stepfather and one to get me. Wow. And so you had an officer coming to get the fathers out the hood. And then you had a college recruiter Ooh, coming to get the deep. talent. That's deep. And so, yo, the, it, the pain runs deep, as Boosie said, yeah. <laughs> right? That yeah. pain runs deep. Most definitely. And so now you got broken homes, and now you sending a broken son to a broken system. What you expecting, a complete son? Yeah. No. You're going to be broken. You're coming from yeah. brokenness. Yeah. And so and so now, all right, now let's get back to my, my, my supposed dissertation at that time. So now let's go a step deeper. When they seen me on campus, I was number 38. <laughs> <laughs> I was not DT. Yeah. yeah they stripped yeah, me of my name. Yeah. Yeah. And so you go to the prison system and my, my stepfather was identified by an inmate number. Yeah. And so now the comparisons, right? I always tell people to get to know the student athlete beyond the helmet. Most definitely. Right? And so I remember I, now after I got done, I would go in the stands and I would see young kids say, Ooh, number 22 is having a great game. Ooh, number 38. Ooh, number 42. Ooh, number yeah. 34. They yeah. never called their name. Definitely. And I thought that was a part of a system that I wanted to dismantle through the pencil. Yeah. And so that's why I took on a dissertation. And that's why I felt like I needed to be a black man with a doctorate degree 
because too many of our young black males don't see it outside of a three-piece suit. Yeah. 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 Definitely get that, man. I know, um, you know, especially in the beginning of your college where mm. you're on that trajectory of all SEC of, mm. you know, first round, second mm -hmm. round draft pick, and then you got hurt. Did that academic kind of uh, motivation come in after you got hurt? Or was this always something you had in even when you uh, first came on campus? It, it was always something I had, um, but again, we going deeper, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think it developed more so my character. Yeah. Right? I think the academic excellent portion, which is one of the four pillars that we live on, yeah. That hit me earlier on, but character development, developing my character through a lot of the struggles, through an mm -hmm. ACL injury, not once, but twice. Mm -hmm. I think those things is really what taught me um, how to withstand the struggles and withstand mm -hmm. the trials and withstand a vice president going to sleep on you in a job interview. Yeah. Yo, that, that like for me, I had been conditioned. Yeah. And so something in your history is going to explain something in your destiny if you just wait a little longer. Mm. And so for me, my ACL was preparation. Mm. It was preparation for me moving from region to region. It was preparation for the VP going to sleep on me. It was preparation for me for a certain amount of time having to look at my wife sleep on a mattress that was on the ground. I said, yeah. my wife, not my girlfriend. Yeah. Yo, it's me waking up at 2 and 3 o'clock saying, yo, God, what's up? And so we judged Job's wife so hard saying, curse God and die. Yo, have you seen some of the situations that's in the hood? Yeah. I think it's a righteous anger. Yeah. <laughs> and so those are the things that developed me. And so now I'm at a position now where I can reach back. Mm -hmm. It's lifting as I climb. And yeah, so man. Now uh, I remember you telling me a story, man. And, uh, you know, it was very profound to me. Mm. And I just kind of just want to just kind of go over it when you kind of knew that, you know, Football wasn't it, mm -hmm. and it was actually in a game. <laughs> it was in a bowl game. So I, I just got. I just want to just talk about that, and just talk about you know you you felt that you had a different purpose, and that you know you knew this football thing was a uh, tool as mm -hmm. opposed to you know the ticket. Yeah. So I it was in a, it was at the end of I think it was the Chick Fil A. Uh, it was a Chick Fil A uh, bowl game. And we were playing, which is a major bowl game, which is a major bowl. It was a New yes. Year's six. I believe. Yes. Yes. So, uh, and so they had Boykin. I mean, he was cold. Oh, he was cold. Number two. He was cold. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, he was awesome. Um, but what ended up happening in that game was like, it's like God took me in another place. Mm -hmm. And as I'm there on the field, I'm looking up at the scoreboard and I'm saying, is this it? Is this it? Like, even if I made it pro, is, is this it? Is this mm -hmm. is this all that I will receive is a is a few thousand fans cheering for me only for a momentary time. And then when I fall off, they fall off. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I want something more structurally founded. I want something more concrete and, yeah. and more concrete for me was setting the it was setting the foundation for those who came behind me mm -hmm. and a doctorate could do what cleats couldn't. Mm. So you knew right then you was going to get your PhD or was it like, I'm going to at least get my degree? Yeah, I, I, I knew. It's interesting story. In the 10th grade, I didn't know what a doctorate degree was. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember going to my, I remember going to people. I, actually, it was a couple of people in the IB program 
And I would never forget, I went to one of the guys, you know, they around the school, they carry like they book bags yeah, with they yeah, computer in it. They yeah, like, uh, yeah. and one day I asked one of the individuals, I was like, hey, what is it? How do you get a doctorate degree? And they like laughed at like, they, they like looked at me like, yo, you don't know what a doctorate degree is? And I like, I would never forget that day. I can remember the individual, he had glasses on. <laughs> I mean, like I could describe him to a yeah. T, okay? But it sparked something in me. Mm. And so when you look at 10, which is the number of completion, I graduated high school in 2009 and I graduated with my doctorate degree in 2019. That's an exact 10 year gap. Yeah. And so three, three degrees in 10 years was primarily um, a motivating factor from, yo, you don't know what a doctorate degree is? Yeah. I found out. It's definitely, man. Uh, one thing I want to uh, attack is that, um, you know, you met your wife mm -hmm. in college and, you know, I wasn't thinking about yeah. that in college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, how how did you two, two meet and how did you know she was the one for you and that, you know, <laughs> it was nothing out there for you except her? Yeah. Um, she bad, bro. <laughs> she bad, bad. She was bad. Look, she's still bad, right? But you know that college bad. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, so yeah. what? I, we, she actually ran track. Yeah. She was a sprinter. And so she ran at Ole Miss. She transferred from UTSA to Ole Miss. And so I didn't meet her until like her junior year. Okay. Right? And, and so that was your what year? That was my, well, that was my fifth year. Okay. Fifth year. I, I stayed in, I, I played six. Oh man, you're a good one. Yeah, I was there a long time, right? <laughs> so we would share the same facilities. Oh, and man. so Ole Miss, at Ole Miss at that time, we would be, you know, in the IPF indoor practice facility, and then the track runners would be around the track. Bruh. So I couldn't catch no ball. Bro, I Bruh. couldn't tackle nobody. You feel me? I like would, I couldn't. I would have paid no attention. <laughs> I'm like, yo, who's wow. that little bit of red shorts? Wow, yeah, bro. <laughs> bro you feel That's me? why y'all was weak until. Hey, well, she coming out them blocks. I'm like, yo, who is this? You feel me? Yeah. And so, like, I I saw her initially, and I was like, who is this? And so, um, I started to pull back the layers, and I started to see uh, the real Jordan. And the mm. real Jordan was who I needed for where I was going. Mm, that's deep. She and was, you knew that. And I, and I knew at that. At that age. Well, I knew that because it's taking heed to your spirit. Yeah. It's, it's your, your, you know, I, I, I say all the time that uh, instinct finds what intellect can only explain. Yeah. Right? So instinctively, you can do certain things that intelligence won't necessarily explain. Won't, you, you won't have a a specific mm -hmm. thing to put on it. You just know it's the it factor. And so for her, I, I, I knew that. Um, and she was a person uh, that was very driven. Um, and so she ended up graduating with a master's degree in integrated marketing communications. Yeah. And, um, and so when I met her, it was, I, I saw her, yeah, I mean, right? What man doesn't, you know, like I saw her, but when I started to peel back the layers, and who Jordan was and who, who she has become, she has become this beautiful, gorgeous tree that just keeps blossoming. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, you've never seen a full-grown tree. Mm -hmm. If somebody tells you that they're lying, mm -hmm. trees continue to grow. They grow heavenward, mm -hmm. right? And so for my wife, I can just see every single day how she grows. And if I'm being real honest, there's a lot of days I rest under her shade. Yeah. 
under her I wisdom, agree. under her knowledge, under yeah. the things that she teaches me. So yeah. I, I know for me, I can only speak for me. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I hate when, like, you know they right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the worst. That's you know the worst. they right. You don't like how they said it, but no. you know they right. And your pride and your ego kind of want to, you know, say something else. But, <laughs> you know, you really got to humble yourself and think. And really, you know, they, they really keep you from a lot of, uh, you know, hurt, harm, danger, and mistakes. <laughs> no, they, they really do. Um, I owe a lot of where I have um, gone, uh, gone in life to her wisdom yeah. and to her belief. Um, it's, it's such a powerful thing to have a person walking hand in hand with you on your journey and mm -hmm. whispering to you, Hey, you can make it, you can do it. Almost definitely. It's, it's almost, it's vital. It's imperative. And so she's been that individual for me and eyes can only see outward. Mm -hmm. They can't see inward. And so to have an individual that's with me all the time and yeah. saying, yo, look, that right there ain't going to work, but also that you're doing great. Yeah. Right. And so her her constructive criticism on who I am as a husband first. Yeah. Um, has has made me into the man um, that I am today. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. And what I liked what you said, and I think, you know, goes the same for me. It's like I knew, you know, my wife was the person if I wanted to be all mm -hmm. that I felt God was calling me to be. This was the woman for me because mm -hmm. she can. You know, she had the gifts, the skills, the talents, and the support to get me there. Mm -hmm. And I know even for myself, if it's, you know, if I wasn't married to my wife, I would not be where I am today, mm -hmm. you know, from a mental standpoint, physical mm -hmm. standpoint, financial mm -hmm. standpoint, mm -hmm. all these yeah, things, yeah. man. Um, so I definitely get that. And I think a lot of times guys, especially, you know, you get to the league or you do this, you know, you just want that kind of arm candy or, mm -hmm. you know, somebody to stroke your ego, mm -hmm. but- I think a lot of times, you know, you need that woman that's going to tell you sometimes something that you don't want to hear to get you to where you need to be. Yeah. And uh, I definitely see that in Jordan. Yeah, so yeah. definitely see yeah. that. I definitely see that. Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> um, so you guys got married at quite young then. Yeah, very young and very untraditional. So let's okay. go deep. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people that are watch this and feel like they need a thirty thousand dollar wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so let's go deep. Yeah. Me and my wife, we got married in a courthouse for okay. twenty dollars. How old was y'all? We were I was twenty so I'm I'm thirty now. I was twenty three. Oh, okay. Hey, y'all so, been married that long? Yeah, we've been married and so Ooh. and so what ends up well, I was 20, okay, yeah, 23, so. How old is she? She younger than you, right? She's 22. She was, so she was just leaving, she was just graduating, and we were at a, we was at a pivotal point in our life. That's some Southern stuff, so, you That's know, nobody, hey, those. Hey, like, no. <laughs> so, like, for me and her, though, we met in college. Yeah. So, my family is from Alabama, her family's from Houston, Texas, we're yeah. at Ole Miss, so what I ended up doing is, I proposed to her, wow. and I had a big, you know, when I proposed to her, it was, like, nice. Um, I had it at somebody's house and like, he was nice, but the wedding, our finances didn't allow for us to do. Yeah. And we, we said to ourselves, if we, if we plant a seed of discomfort, now mm -hmm. we'll eat the fruit later. Okay. Okay. And so we okay. discarded the $30,000 wedding. Right. Uh -huh. And so I, like me and my wife, we sat up and watched the show. I, I guess it's marriage and marriage of mortgage. Right. So they, <laughs> they, they choose between marriage or mortgage. Yeah, right. And, and, yeah. and I'm not the judge of nobody. Yeah. You do what you want to do with your finances. 
but uh, but for the majority of individuals that's in that that median range yes. for us we felt like that it was wisdom okay. that would carry us further by just going to the courthouse and being right in front of the eyesight of God. Yeah, I got you. know you. what I'm saying? Before men, and I feel like this is a popularity culture. And so that's what people are generally looking for, not me, not my wife. And I owe that a lot to my wife because you think about a, a woman. Oh, that, yeah, she won't do yeah. She won't, like, and so. I ain't gonna I, lie to you. I got married at 31, so yeah. that, that wasn't no option. <laughs> so, like, for, Shout out to Michelle. I right? love you, babe. So, but, like, <laughs> she won't go. So, like, for me, I was blessed with a wife yeah. who was able to see further than where her foots were currently. Yeah, I feel you. And so we up, we ultimately are in a way a way better place in Chicago now mm-hmm. because of what we planted, right? And so, um, so what you sow, I you reap. <laughs> and so, and for me and her, um, that set us up for success in Chicago. Um, and that's why we're able to um, be a blessing to so many people yeah. um, because of us not going. It's called counterculture. Yeah. You're going against what culture does and you're saying, no, I'm not doing that. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. That doesn't add up financially, emotionally. I mean, like I it just it was so much pressure. And I was like, babe, who are we really doing this for? Like, yeah. who we who we really get married for? Yeah. And so when we made it as one, we don't have $30,000 hanging over our head. I hear you. I hear you. Right? We in the the good now, right? And if we have an individual that come across our path that God places on our heart to bless, we can do that. Or we can have somewhere nice to lay our head. I got you. I can tell you you what. Yeah, your house nice, man. Right? (laughs) Well, because we didn't go 30 racks in the hole. My wife don't have to sleep on the mattress on the floor no yeah. more. And let's get to that. So, uh, yeah. you know, you guys get re- married relatively young. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, I guess you guys stay for a while mm-hmm. at an old Miss, which is in Oxford, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys end up bouncing around and you eventually get your advanced degrees and things like that. But as you told me, and I kind of want to get in depth with this, is that you really couldn't find work. Yeah. You was a, a, a PhD doctor, black male, yeah. and you really couldn't find a job. I, so, like, please just kind of just explain that journey and kind of like the work journey and and yeah. uh, eventually why you came to Chicago. And then I want to go into that, something else after that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> every successful individual must withstand a wilderness. Yeah. Every single individual that you meet has went through a type of wilderness, and that doesn't. The wilderness was a little long, bro. Yeah, my wilderness was very long. Okay, all right, it was very long, and it played mental tricks on me. I bet, because can you imagine my stepfather, Mm -hmm. who has a tenth grade education, four years in prison, he's getting told the same thing at the job interview. As a doctorate degree is getting oh, told. I'd be mad. I would have been hot. I probably would have gave up, be honest with you. And so now the inmate meets the collegiate student athlete. Doctor. We meet, <laughs> we meet together. We're covenant. Yeah. <laughs> we married. Yeah. And so now it's like, yo, like you start to really look deep within yourself and say, is it me? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I can specifically say it was my wife. 
Um, the Bible say a man that find a wife find a good thing. Yeah. Finds a good thing. And so for me, that's what um she has been for my journey to call out of me what she sees in me. That's what's up. And so for a large part of my journey, specifically when I was in college and then got to Dallas, Texas, it was a season of growth. And yeah. I think so many people want the glory, but they don't want the story for the glory. Most there. Right? And so a lot of times you will see the stage, but you don't see the people pulling the curtains. Yeah. Right? Who builds the stage that the individual yeah. stands on? Yeah. There's a large part of the performer, the Beyonce's, the Jay-Z's. I feel like they should write secret letters to the people that build stages. Yeah. Without them, they couldn't stand on them. Yeah. Right? And so you're talking about the people that sacrifice in order for you to get the things that you have now. For me, that was my wife. And then consistently having a, a, a mother and a father and siblings that consistently telling me what I am when the world telling me what I ain't. That's what's up, man. And yeah. uh, I know eventually you guys, you know, went to, uh, guys were in Mississippi, then went moved to Dallas, mm -hmm. Texas, and eventually had a choice of a different couple of cities, but ultimately chose uh, Chicago. And I just kind of wanted to understand why you chose Chicago with the reputation. You ain't got mm -hmm. no you know, family in Chicago. I don't think you guys ever been north, you know, <laughs> yeah. experienced that winter. Yeah. You know, why mm -hmm. Chicago, which, you know, quote unquote, murder capital, all mm -hmm. this crazy stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose this city to settle as opposed to the other places that you uh, had the opportunity mm -hmm. to go to? Well, life is about angles. Mm if you can look at a picture from the right angle, you can get a pretty good view as to what you can see. So for me, I saw Chicago and I saw a place that I could give inspiration. Oh. I saw a place that needed hope. Mm. Um, good you. news to a distant land is like cold water to a parched throat. Yeah. So I knew I had cold water. I'm looking yeah, for the parched yeah, throat. It was, it was parched. Right? <laughs> Torched so, out here. <laughs> right? So when I got to Chicago, yeah. when I got to Chicago, I knew that eventually um, the seed event the seed needs the right soil. Yeah. Right? It's like which is greater, the seed or the soil, right? The soil or the seed, right? The seed is the seed. It is until you immerse it into the, the specific soil. And then a lot of times that soil is broken, yeah. right? You ain't putting it in soil. You ain't just throwing it on top of the soil. It takes a shovel. Right. Mm -hmm. It takes something to grind up the dirt and mm -hmm. then you must immerse it. And then you got to water it. One man plants, another man waters, but God get an increase. Yeah. And so for me coming to Chicago, it was really a faith journey. OK. And it was me seeing um, it was me seeing inspiration. It was me seeing hope when others saw bullets. Yeah. I'm not saying that I don't see him, mm -hmm. but I'm seeing a God that can definitely use his vessels um, to come to a city and to combat a lot of these different issues that's going on. If not me, then who? That was my mentality. Most definitely, man. And I just want to just, uh, when you got to Chicago, mm -hmm. I know that, you know, you were going around kind of just seeing where you can add value, went to schools, different organizations, mm -hmm. different people. Mm -hmm. You had the credentials. You could have been a dean. You could have <laughs> been... In yeah. the school system, you could have been a coach, you mm -hmm. could have been all these things. But why did you choose the male mogul initiative? A guy who was just kind of a one man band mm -hmm. at the time mm -hmm. and, you know, really didn't have it all together. Mm -hmm. 
like, you know, and as even now, we just kind of figure it out as we <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. But why would you choose to connect yourself with somebody, you know, that's really mm -hmm. taking a, you just taking a chance mm -hmm. as opposed to something that, you know, you could have been to any institution and, mm -hmm. you know, unlike a Dallas or anywhere else, Chicago probably would have, you would have got a job easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a city situated on top of a hill cannot be hidden. And so when when I met you, I met your heart first. Mm -hmm. We're going deep, right? You remember what my Alabama roots taught me to look at a person from the inside out, not the mm -hmm. outside in. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I met you, I met your heart first, not your hand. Mm -hmm. And when I saw your heart, I said, this is a man after God's own heart. May not be perfect, mm -hmm. may not have all the marbles, may not have everything together, but I know what he do have. He's an he's an individual that's after God's own heart, and I, I can see it in him. And so um, I definitely feel like when I met you, um, there was there was an instant spiritual connection first, and then I saw purpose work. Right, I saw that you were an individual that was gritty. Right, you were able to sacrifice for male mogul. Right. Um, you would meet a lot of people that's that's in startups and they're not all the way invested. Yeah. And when they're not all the way invested, it, a certain part of you is held back. When I saw that and I saw it firsthand of how you were operating in classrooms and how, you know, I, I'll tell people now when I first met while I went to a classroom setting with Walt and we were there early um, and probably about 30 minutes before the class was about to start. He said, hey, come with me right quick. I'm like, okay, uh, 30 minutes. We about to start. He's, no, come with me right quick. Let's go up the street. We go up the street and we go to McDonald's. And we go to McDonald's and we probably get like probably five to eight McDoubles and like some fries, right? And like he just piles it in the bag and he says, you don't know this yet, but McDonald's means so much more to this classroom because some of them don't, don't eat. And a light bulb went off. Because I used to work at McDonald's. Mm. And I worked at McDonald's in the 10th grade. And I rode a blue bike every single day. Because I couldn't. I didn't have a ride to work. Mm -hmm. I committed to Tennessee. And then I rode my bike to McDonald's. Mm. So it wasn't heart to heart that we were connected. It was also McDonald's. Oh, I saw value in McDonald's when other people didn't. Yeah. I saw value in the dollar menu. Definitely. And you did too. And so when you took that and you took something so precious to some to a group of young men that were really, really chasing a, a mission that they didn't know, they didn't know how to attack it. Yeah. Right? They know it's something in them. Yeah. Right? But how do I get that? And when I saw you become that model and see and seeing you transform in the way that um they were attracted to you. I said, this is an individual that I can build with. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. And I think um, we're going to kind of wrap it up on mm -hmm. there. And then the next part is going to, we're going to talk more about the male mogul and mm -hmm. uh, what we see and mm -hmm. kind of playing that vision uh, for the people. Mm -hmm. um, what are uh, just last names? Is there anything that you would just kind of like to express just from your story and all the way, everything up to the male mogul that you want to give the people before we leave? Um, <clears throat> I talked earlier about lifting as you climb. Yes. So until we return next time, make sure you reaching back, make sure you're going to get somebody 
Uh, make sure you're going to dust them off. You be the brush to somebody's back. You be the shirt to somebody's chest. Yes. You be the jeans to somebody's legs. You be yep. the shoes to somebody's feet. That's great wisdom right there, man. Mm -hmm. So we'll be back next month. This is me, Walter Mendenhall, with my co-host, Dr. D.T. Shackleford. Mm -hmm. Until next time. Yeah.